Hey everyone, Joe Graves here, pastor of what is now City View Church. So welcome, uh, so glad you're listening to the podcast. Want to let you know a couple of big things that are happening. We've been spending the last, this whole year working towards this merger. Um, and we are excited to say that we are now a City View Church, formerly Central City and St. Luke's. And uh, we've been now uh, planning our grand opening where we can reintroduce ourselves to the neighborhood. So that is going to be on September 24th. So if you're listening and you're able to come, we would love to have you. We're going to have a 930 contemporary service, an 11 o'clock traditional service, and then a church party in between those services. And after that service, it's the whole morning. It's going to be a blast. We're going to have some fun activities. Um, we also wanted to do something to reintroduce us ourselves to the community and let the community, the, the, the city, know what we're about. And we're all about blessing the city, uh, being a blessing to our neighbors. And so we thought we would do that in a very literal sense. So on September 23rd, it's a Saturday, from 9 to noon, we are going to literally bless our city by raising donations starting now all the way through September 23rd, and then we're going to go out as a church, and we're going to fill 100 blessing boxes. So blessing boxes are little pantries, uh, publicly accessible, where anyone can take or donate goods, and we're going to raise donations uh, and then distribute those to 100 different boxes all over Central Ohio, and we need your help to do it. So you can donate and you can also come and volunteer. You can sign up for this or learn more about what to donate by going to our website, cityviewcolumbus.org slash news. So with that, uh, we'll get into our message and I can't wait for all of the exciting things to come. We're gonna look at a scripture passage today that is one of those not fun ones. Do you, you, don't, do you know what I mean by not like, this isn't one you use in children's ministry usually, although if you did, that would be interesting, but you don't usually. And so I really, before, and, and, and it's kind of a tough passage in, the, the lesson from the passage is really good. I think you're going to like it, but the passage itself can be distracting because you're like, what's going on there? That seems really extreme. So I want to start by just creating some context so that you can move past the extreme part and we can focus on what the lesson is about. And I'm going to do that by ruining everyone's love of Disney. Is that fair? Uh, ruin these Disney stories. So as you know, Disney stories, um, uh, they, they tell these fairy tales, right? The Little Mermaid, Cinderella, all sorts of stuff. But Disney kind of makes them friendly for children because that's their target audience. But some of you know this already, the original stories are not kid-friendly, or if they were, they were for like a different way of raising children. Um, much more fear-based, I think. So let me give you some examples. Little, the Little Mermaid, you remember? Um, this is just this is from BuzzFeed, so you know it's 100% accurate. But the first story, The Little Mermaid, is based on this uh, uh, Hans Christian Andersen, who was this brilliant uh, Christian writer, actually. And, uh, and one of the biggest challenges is that when The Little Mermaid is given her legs by the sea witch, um, in the original story, it feels like knives are impaling her feet every time she walks. So she's walking around in pain because she's a mermaid. She's not supposed to be walking on land. And it's like part of the, the story of The Little Mermaid originally. Like this was written by a really brilliant Christian writer. Oh, and then if she doesn't win over the prince, she'll turn into sea foam and die. That's the original 
Little Mermaid. So Disney's version, like a little bit different. The, here's the next one, Hercules. Uh, this is kind of fun. Um, as you know, Disney's Hercules had, had Hera as the loving mother, but the OG myth, which I think is a great way to say that, uh, saw Hera as, uh, was on a mission to kill him, which is very, you know, not surprising with Greek stories. All right, Snow White, also really intense. The evil queen uh, was, uh, was tried to eat Snow White in the original Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I don't, Hannibal Lecter, I guess. I don't get that at all, but that's, that's what BuzzFeed says. Um, <laughs> Sleeping Beauty, also in the original, uh, no, uh, not Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. Also in the original Snow White, the prince didn't awaken Snow White with true love's kiss. He just bought her corpse and carried it with him everywhere he went. Someone should Google that. I don't know, I don't think that one's true. It is. Okay. I'm going somewhere with this. I promise you. Cinderella. All right. The original Cinderella story, one of Cinderella's stepsisters cut off her toes to try to fit the slipper into the prince. Disney cut that out of the story. For appropriate reasons. The last one, not as dramatic, but the princess and the frog. In the original, the princess tries to kill the frog, which actually seems pretty reasonable because it's a frog. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If a talking frog came into my house, I would probably do the same. I don't know. I, I would have a conversation first. But okay. So all I have to say, what are these original? These are these are based on really old stories. Like some of them predate Jesus. Like Hercules. The original telling of Hercules is way before Jesus even came along. Way before the early church. What do these stories have in common? The original stories. There there is so much more pain and death. I mean, just dramatic. So here's, here's the way you have to understand. Older stories don't match, don't line up with our modern sensibilities. They just don't, okay? There was a lot more pain and death. Now, here's the important thing. The, the moral of a lot of those stories remains the same in the Disney. Sometimes they adjust and change a little bit. But the moral remains the same sometimes. And, uh, but the, the, the degree at which they try to bring up about their point is really extreme. It includes a lot of like violence and pain and usually somebody dying. And now we've softened the story. So I'm gonna read you a biblical story. And you have to remember, this is not a story written today. This is not a Disney story. This is a over 2,000 year old story. And it's a little dramatic. And you can imagine how you would retell this story in a Disney version all you want, and maybe that can be the cartoon version you share with your kids, that's fine. But we're gonna read the original one, and these stories, these ancient stories, were a lot more dramatic. And this is one of the ways, just as a, before we get into the, this is one of the ways that we can interact with scripture. We have to remind ourselves that we live in a different time with different understanding of what kind of stories we're interested in, and so we can get past some of the brutality of the Bible because they would have been more contemporarily acceptable at that time just like a lot of these old fables. So here's the story, it's in the book of Acts. The church has become the church and everyone is sharing with each other and they are making a difference in the community and we run into the story of Ananias and Sapphira. So follow along with me as I read it, the words will be on the screen. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. Now, pause there for a second. It says also. So now we know it's in reference to another story before this. 
So now there's a story that we're gonna have to go back to. We will, but just remember. Also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. That's dramatic. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours, once again, not, this is not the Disney version of this biblical story, right? So just keep processing. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Everyone else knew, but she didn't somehow. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And she said, yes, that is the price. Peter said to do, how could you conspire to test the Holy Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. Ooh. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. We're in a series right now called All In. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to serve. And I've been so encouraged by everyone's response. A number of people have signed up and offered various ways that they can serve. We've got some new greeters who are willing to greet. We have a new volunteer for the friendship class who's starting today. I mean, it's been really cool to watch people show up and sign up and say, hey, I want to, and there's going to be opportunity to respond even more to serving when we launch our ministry fair in a couple of weeks. And so be on the lookout for that. But we're going to be talking about what it means to be all in, what it means to be the church. And so we've talked about serving. We've spent three weeks of that. I'm going to spend one day about giving. We're looking at passages in Acts, so this is the story today. So basically, all I have to say to you is if you don't start giving to our church right now, you are going to die. <laughs> and I'm so glad you laughed. That tells us a lot about our community. I'm joking. Which there's this great comedian that says that if you have to say I'm joking afterwards, it's not a good joke. Um, so I'm sorry, not a good joke. You know, to really understand this passage, and this is why I think it's really important to start with those, those Disney comparisons. Like, we, I don't want you to get lost in the fact that these two people die. I'm not spending time unpacking that today, because there's actually a deeper point. And, and you know, I think if the story was written today, it would be written a little bit differently. Um, but uh, to really understand what the story's about, we have to go back to the previous chapter, because it says someone else also gave to, um, uh, also did something similar. So I want to go to the uh, chapter before, and I've got it on the screen. It's Acts chapter 4, and I'm just going to look at verses 33 to 34 and 36 to 37. It says this. So the, it's talking about the early church. The church is new. It's young. It's exciting. They're in the honeymoon stage. There aren't a lot of problems yet. Ananias and Sapphira are kind of the first big problems that they have to encounter. And it says this, and this is very important to understanding. By God's grace, God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. First off, why isn't that a verse we memorize? I don't even remember last time I read that verse. 
I'm going to read it again. Have you thought about this verse? Have you encountered this verse recently? God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. You could almost reverse that and say, you'll know God's grace is at work in our lives because there will be no needy people amongst us. We'll talk about that in a second. Go to verse 36. So Joseph, a Levi from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, he becomes important later, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet because they did not have online giving. He sells everything he has, and he gives it to the church, and the church then is responsible for distributing to everyone who needs, and that's what the early church looked like. I want to talk about giving. And I want to learn, we got, I want to help us unpack a little bit of what Ananias and Sapphira got wrong, what, what, they, what they missed, why it was such a big deal, why, why this story is in here. It's meant to teach us something. And, and it has really severe consequences in Ananias and Sapphira's story. They both die. The, the severe consequences are supposed to like draw attention to the fact that this is really important. That's, that, if you, if you can't get past anything else, just understand it's there because it's really, really important. So I just have a couple of ideas I want to share with you. Here's the first one. We give because God first gave to us. We give because God first gave to us. This is God's grace was so powerfully at work in their life that they gave in such a way that there was no need amongst them. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, that's not, that's not their motivation. That's not why they lied about what they give. And the disciples make it clear, you know, this was yours to begin with. And you sold the land. When you sold it, the money belonged to you. You could have done whatever you wanted. No one's making you give it. So why lie and say you gave it all when you didn't? Probably because they wanted to look good. They wanted to look like everyone else. Someone else had already just sold land and gave all of it, so I should probably do the same thing. And they operate out of this shame and guilt to impress. And they aren't giving in response to what God had given them. They're giving for other reasons. I I think this is really important. Generosity, giving, whether it's to a church, whether it's to an individual, whether it's to a nonprofit, whether it's a whatever, is, is in response to God's grace. We give because God first gave to us. There's this beautiful prayer. David is charged with building the temple of God in, in the Old Testament, and he, he gathers all of these donations to do it, you know, and, and, and donations from a variety of people, and David himself gives towards it, and they're going to build this temple for God, a house for God, so to speak. And to be fair, God wasn't really interested in that, but he eventually let him do it anyway, so that's just something, that says something about God in, in a way, like, okay, I'll let you be nice to me in this way, even though that's not what I need. And uh, but, but David it's consecrating this gift and he's like praying and blessing you know this gift and all of these donations and he says this it's in first uh, chronicles 29 i think i have it on the screen here lord our god all of this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you already I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. Man, every time Scripture talks about generosity and giving, it's always about the heart. We're going to see this consistently. That was the problem with Ananias and Sapphira. It wasn't what they did necessarily. It was what was going on inside their heart. So they test the heart. You're pleased with integrity. All of these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. Oh, the intent is so important behind our giving. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. It's the sense that we give because God first gave to us. And it's rooted in this simple belief as Christians that everything I have came from God. 
Like, well, I worked to earn it. Yeah, but how did you have the ability to work to own it? That, you didn't ask to be born. You didn't ask for the opportunities you were given and the ways in which you, you know, everything, the breath you have is a gift every day. Every day. And it's sometimes too short. I, I did a funeral just yesterday, which is why I'm so tired, by the way, to be serious. Because I, I drove two and a half hours up to Northwest Ohio to, to help remember a friend and a member of my youth group when I was a youth pastor up there. She died at 30. Life's too short. Every breath, every day you have is a gift. And generosity has to come from this place of recognizing that, oh, it's a gift. I give up my time. I give up my talents. I give up my prayers. I give up my, my financial resources because I recognize them as a gift. And I respond to the grace that God has already shown me by giving it to other people. I extend it because it starts with God. The second idea that I want to share with you is this. And this is, this, this could be a whole sermon. I, I, I'm just going to spend a few moments with it. But the good news has to translate to generosity. Right. American Christians love talking about evangelism and good news and the gospel, and there's nothing inherently wrong about that. But the early church, the good news meant something. It meant transformation that led to generosity. The early church in its honeymoon phase before humans you know, began to influence it in negative ways, the early church, the gospel played out in practical financial Generosity, okay? The, the grace that God showed us, in other words, this spiritual grace, this, this belief that God has forgiven us and that God has given us all that we have, the spiritual grace that we receive has to translate into financial, practical giving, or we've not understood that grace. He says, think about this, the previous verse, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. So God's grace, this spiritual reality, this theological concept, this belief that God has forgiven us and God loves us no matter what, that abstract idea was so powerfully at work that it did what? It produced practical differences. There were no poor amongst them. So at some point, God's abstract, this grace that we believe we've encountered and experienced eventually has to play out into changed communities of justice and equality and equity where everyone has everything they need. And until everyone has everything they need, we've not really fully understood or translated or converted God's grace in our life. That's just, I believe that. You don't have to believe that. I believe that. There's a lot of ways to do that. There's a lot of ways we could do it better. I mean, this is what we do. We try to do it some of the ways in our church, and we've got lots of room for improvement, I promise you. But we're going to try to do this on the 23rd when we put tangible gifts in 100 different free pantries all over the city. And the reality is that's not going to solve the big problem. But when I found out that each one of those is visited on average five times a day by people who need the stuff that's in them, I was like, okay, this is real. This isn't just sitting and not getting used. Like, people are accessing these. So that's great. There's a thousand other places that are providing resources we could support. When we engage in violence reduction, we are providing tangible, small needs to people connected with group and gang violence. We are showing up through our gifts and our partners at the Columbus Violence Reduction to give gas cards, phone cards, whatever, meeting practical, tangible needs to people who are connected. In care ministry, when there are people in our community who are hurting or need something, whether that be scheduling a 
you know, a meal train for somebody who recently had a baby or whatever. These are very small and I would almost say inadequate ways to live this out, but they are at least a start that God's grace has to translate into generosity towards one another and to our city. Grace translated into generosity. I think this is one of the main points of Acts, and it really leads to um, um, uh, this another point, like God's grace has to transform us into more generous people, which leads to number three, giving isn't an obligation, it's an opportunity. You know, I wonder if this is what was going on in Ananias and Sapphira, and I, I'm speculating here, but maybe they felt like they had to put on a show, everyone was giving. This was very popular at the time. It was the cool thing to do, so they were doing it. Maybe there's some peer pressure involved, and so they felt obligated. So they said, of course, of course I gave, we gave everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what we, you know. I don't know, but that's what you kind of sense in the context, because everyone else was selling everything and giving it, and the story makes it clear that everyone... Everyone had their own stuff, and they were able to do what they wanted with it. They weren't in trouble for not giving everything. They were in trouble for pretending like they had. You are not obligated to give. I I do think it's a fruit of God's grace, but you're not obligated, and we're not meant to be obligated. Um, In fact, I would encourage you not to give out of obligation I think we give because it's a chance, and, and by give, I mean, I mean to the church, the community we're a part of. I think that's important to other people when they're in need, to other organizations we believe in. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking big strokes. I think, I think this church is a great place to give. I give generously to the church, and I'm not bragging. I'm just being honest, and I know many of you do as well, but I, we give to other organizations, to people in need. So I'm talking giving in general, but I think giving is a chance to partner with God and other people to change the world. And it's not about looking good, and it's not about doing the right thing necessarily or fulfilling your religious obligation. It's about coming together, pulling our resources, and changing the world. And, and I think, you know, in our community, there's a lot of reasons to give. I, I had the chance to um, uh, visit Peeny. She's a part of the St. Luke's community. I think I got a picture of us together. Peeny's in a nursing home up in Marion, Ohio. She was a sweetheart, by the way. She was super fun. Um, She kind of forgot I was there a couple times. And uh, my favorite part was after I spent some time praying with her and stuff, there was a long pause. And she was like, now what? (laughs) And uh, I was like, well, now I go home. (laughs) But uh, um, she's going to be 100 in in December. And uh, drove up to Marion last week, I think, and spent about an hour with her and her daughter. And it was, it was great. And I, I share this for a very specific reason. I, uh, because of people's generosity here, I have the time to do that. This is my philosophy of staff. And we have a few staff in the room and a few that are not. I, I, we pay people um, not because they need a job. or you know, We pay people because we want to carve out space in their life to be able to do things they're called to do. And, 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 and if I had to work a full-time job, which I'd be willing to do and still pastor, and there's, there's nothing wrong with being bivocational. People do this all the time. But because I don't have to, I'm able to do a lot of things that I wouldn't be able to do if I was also working during the day. And those include visiting Peony, which, by the way, I shouldn't be the only one visiting her. So if anyone wants to go with me next time, we'd love to have you. Um, I know she'd love to see, um, uh, see other people from church. Of course, she doesn't know that we've merged. She doesn't need to. So I just called it St. Luke's. But that's neither here nor there. We have a kid in our neighborhood. 
she comes over and plays with Finn all the time. And somewhere along, along the lines, we've mentioned that we're, we go to church on Sundays and stuff. So she has to go to church with us today. Turns out she couldn't come today, but she wants to come. So we're going to bring uh, our little neighborhood girl, Mavis, who's friends with Finn, to church probably next week or at some point. In fact, it was the, she was talking about it so much that the grandmother who she visits across the street, that's why she's in our neighborhood, is, uh, came over to just be like, hey, she can't come this week, but she still wants to come. And it was this whole conversation. We are able to do that because we have a children's ministry. If we didn't have a children's ministry that Finn didn't enjoy, he would not have talked to Mavis about that children's ministry. Do, do you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I, there are good things. This, this, this week, there are three in our community, in this, this building that now is our church, there are three AA groups that meet every week. One NA group, so NA is Narcotics Anonymous, AA is Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and there's an election. The election that everyone's talking about, it, it, we're a voting site. That's happening. Just this week, that's happening. Like that's, we are the close, this building is the closest thing this neighborhood has to a community center. It's where election voting takes place. It's where area commission meetings happen. It's where AA groups meet. Like this is the, cl- there's not something comparable to a community center other than us. You know, small groups, violence reduction, worship, teaching, it's all made possible because people give. We don't give out of obligation, and we give because it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to partner together to do good things and to change the world, which leads to the last point. Number four, it's not about the amount, but the heart behind it. I, uh, I'm, really, I'm really passionate about giving because of so many reasons. I'll be completely frank with you and say it like this. We live in a society that is often controlled by money. And it has an immense amount of control over people's lives in a lot of ways. People who have a lot of money, it controls them in certain ways. People who are completely without money it has an immense amount of control of their lives in a negative way, like in a negative space way. Money has, I mean, literally most problems in society, you can what? Follow the money. And it's actually true. There's an immense amount of power attached to money. Giving, and I'm not even saying where, although I hope it would be here, but giving the release of control of a small amount of your money, a percentage of your money, is one way of saying to the world and saying to money and saying to the power that we attach to money, you don't own me. It's liberating. Remember the first sermon I ever gave? <laughs> I was in high school. So, yeah, I was that kid. I was in high school giving a sermon at my dad's church. And... Uh, I didn't even have a job, for the record. Like, I wasn't making money. But my first sermon was on 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. If you're familiar with that passage, it's where Paul is writing a, um, camp- it's a campaign letter. It's a fundraising letter. He's writing to Corinthians, asking them to give towards his fundraising strategy to support the Jerusalem church, which was, which was really hurting at the time. He said, hey, here's what's going on in Jerusalem. You got to help these people out. And it's this beautiful letter. My first sermon was on giving. 2 Corinthians 9 says it like this, and I would have mentioned this probably in my sermon. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's, that's what it's about. That's the point of Ananias and Sapphira. 
You give what's, what you've decided in your heart, not, not because I'm making you, not because anyone else is making you. I'm telling you, giving is good in its own right, regardless of what it benefits. It's, it's, it's liberating. In fact, I've never met somebody who's given generously who came back and said, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Like people, enjoy, when you've done it, it's really enjoyable. It's, I, I will say it like this. When we lie about what we give, when we don't, give what we feel led to give when we hold back, when we grab, and we hold on to the stuff that we've got, and we're just unwilling to let it go. It's mine. I need it. I'm worried. I'm scared. I'm operating out of fear. You know, it, it becomes a poison to our soul when we're holding back and we're holding tight. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that if you don't give or you hold back that you're going to die. Like, and I don't think there's very many cases where that happened. But I am saying this. When you hold on, and you, and you let money control you, and you're not willing to just let go and give away and live generously, it is a poison to your soul, and you will die a little. Maybe that's the point of the story. And I only say that because I know it's true that when I've held back, I, I'm not living as full of a life, but when I've given generously, and I'm not bragging, this isn't about me, I'm just saying like it actually... I feel more alive. And I think you will too. And I know you will, because many of you live generous lives. And that's what it's about. That's the point of Ananias and Sapphira, that when we live generous lives, we experience the fullness of life. When we make this conscious effort to give. Holding back, holding on, refusing to be generous, as we feel we should, that does kill a part of us, I think. So I encourage you. You know, our church is in a, continuing this year, just been in a season, moving towards goals that we've set and are working towards together. And our hope is that they will produce great fruit. And I, am, I just want to say that I am so grateful for each of you, that you and those at an 11 o'clock service, the way in which people give and the way in which people have supported through the Lazarus Fund, through regular giving, it has enabled us to work through this season, to set healthy goals, and to move towards them. And so I'm grateful. And I'm also grateful for the ways in which you've been generous towards each other. And I'm grateful for the ways in which you've been generous in other places that I am oblivious to. I don't even know where you've been giving. I am just grateful. Our church, though, is able to do what it does because people give. And so I'm grateful. More than anything, I'm grateful. We're going to transition our time uh, to communion. And it's a reminder of what it means for God to give of God's self. You know, that God is so generous, that God so loved the world that God gave God's self to us. And, and we share in bread um, and juice as a reminder of God literally giving of God's self to us. So if you're uh, we're here today and you're interested and you're hungry for forgiveness and you're interested in sharing, you're welcome. Anyone is welcome. All of our elements are gluten-free. Um, and so you're welcome to participate uh, as you feel led. Um, I invite you now to pray with me. God, we come before you and we give you thanks. We ask that you would, be, uh, that you would make these gifts of bread and juice be for us the very body and blood of Christ. That you might help us be the body of Christ. An example of what it means to be your people in this world. To love, to give of ourselves as you have given of yourself to us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, the one 
who lived, died, rose again. Help us to share in that new life. In your name, amen.